Have your Bible turned to Revelation 22. We're going to read the first five verses this morning. Revelation, this morning, this evening. Revelation chapter 22. Is heaven a far-fetched dream or a certain promise? That's our topic. We know that John is writing, but let me remind you, this is not the revelation of John, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation 22, the first five verses. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. No matter how often I read that text, I wonder what was going through John's mind as he saw what God revealed to him about heaven. And we spent quite a few weeks now looking at this city. A city that the Bible says comes down from God, the New Jerusalem, which we know that is the bride of Christ. It's also the city that you and I will inherit one day. We began last week looking at this text, and we look at the city's characteristics. In verse 1, we saw a river of life. And I want you to... Just imagine for a moment, this will be the first time sin is going to be destroyed. It'll be a time when we experience the fullness of life with God, and we will experience the eternal blessing that come when we believe in Him and allow Him to satisfy our spiritual thirst. But not only is there a river that John saw in verse 1, in verse 2 he saw a tree, a tree of life. It'll be a time, now listen to me very carefully, it'll be a time when the control of sin has been destroyed, thank God. And it'll be a time, finally, When our eternity with God is secure. 
And evidently, we'll be able to eat freely from this tree of life. John said this tree was growing on the east side of the river. And the tree bore different manners of fruit each month. And the leaves on that tree were for the healing of the nations. How many know our world needs healing? One day it will be complete. Then in verse 3 of Revelation 22, John said there was no more curse. We have never known a world like that. And I don't believe that we can imagine in our wildest imagination what a blessing it will be to live in a world with no curse. In verse 3, John says we will serve him. And I mentioned this last week, we'll not be floating around on clouds, playing harps all the time. We will serve God. We will serve him for eternity. And I'm convinced in my heart that a lot of that service will involve worship. And we'll never, ever grow tired of that. But then in the first part part of verse 4, Revelation 22, John says, And they shall see his face. Anybody here ever seen the face of God? Now, I know you haven't. Because if you have, you wouldn't be here. Because you cannot see the face of God and live. There's going to come a day God's people will see his face. And the last time that the face of God was seen was Adam and Eve before sin came into the world. Moses, a great lawgiver, he went to the mountain to meet with God. And he asked God, let me see your face. And God said to him in Exodus 33 verse 20, thou cannot see my face. For there shall no man see my face and live. One day we'll see him face to face. Now think about that. Can we imagine that day when we will see God face to face? In Matthew 5, 8, Jesus gave a promise. Blessed are those, the pure in heart. Why? For they shall see God. They shall see God. John would write in 1 John chapter 3 verse 2, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we will, we shall be like him. Why? For we shall see him as he is. We will see God face to face. I think the point here is we're going to have an intimate, personal relationship with God. Now think about that. Now we know that God has a throne. But in heaven, he won't just be a God on a throne in some faraway, remote castle remaining inaccessible, but God is going to live among his people and we will see his face. But John also said in 
the last part of verse 4, Revelation 22, and his name shall be in their foreheads. His name shall be in their foreheads. Have you ever read Revelation and asked yourself, what does that mean? I think all of us ask that question over and over again. And all I know to say is what God says. We will have his name on our foreheads. And I I certainly don't pretend to know everything that might imply. But I think one thing it does imply, God's ownership over our lives. We belong to him. Back in chapter 7, verse 3, we were told that some of God's people have been sealed. Look what it says. The angel angel says, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Again, identifying those as people who belong to God. Now remember, this is on the earth. In chapter 14, verse 1 of Revelation, John said, I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion. And with him, 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. So here in chapter 22, the last part of verse 4, the Bible says his name shall be in their foreheads. In chapter 14 in verse 1, the seal is being described as a form of the father's name. The point is, in Revelation 14, 1, This is the same group that were sealed back in chapter 7, verse 3. And since that time, a lot of things have gone on on the earth. A lot of catastrophes in the book of Revelation. But here is what's interesting. The same 144,000, the ones who were sealed by God, God protected them. They were still His. And this is the same group of people that we read about in chapter 7, verse 3. And the bottom line is this. God is going to bring those who are his into safety. He did it for them. He will do it for us. In chapter 7, they were sealed against the difficulties that were going to come on this earth. And I want you to realize tonight, folks... That all of those who have been saved, all who will be saved, are protected spiritually and we are sealed for heaven. We are sealed by the Spirit of God. And what's interesting, in our text tonight, we find out, especially back in 14, 1 of Revelation, all those who have been sealed... All those who had pro- were promised heaven, they were standing there with Christ on Mount Zion. My friend, God keeps his promises. No believer will be lost. God will forget no one. And God will not misplace anyone. Everyone who has been sealed with God's seal, one of these days, we are going to spend eternity with Christ. Thank God for that. We are in protection. Every believer throughout history will be with Christ. The promise is certain. And by the way, the number is complete. 
And by 144,000 does stand for completion as well. The number will be complete. So as we enter this final chapter of Revelation, chapter 22, the first five verses, we find there was a river, a pure river of water of life. John said it was clear as crystal, and it proceeded out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Heaven will be a place, John says. There'll be no temple, for the holy light of God in Christ is always going to shine throughout that city. We won't need a temple. John says the heaven will be a place where the gates are never shut, a place of total freedom, a place of complete and open access to the presence of God. Heaven will be a place where there will be eternal life flowing down from the throne of God, flowing down from God to his people, that's you and I. There will be a tree of life for the healing of the nations. There will be twelve fruits upon it. There will be abundant life in heaven. And we will continually, continually be satisfied. And we will never long for anything else in God's heaven. Everything that is really wonderful, everything that surpasses everything that captivates our mind, everything that enraptures us, everything that transcends, all of that will be collected together in heaven and we will experience it. Now think about what John was writing, what he was seeing. And without a doubt, the wonders of heaven defy description. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.9, quoting from the Old Testament, But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. How many love God tonight? Folks, God's got things prepared for us we can't imagine. We can never imagine as hard as we try. So what about heaven? I think it would be better than we can ever imagine. Better than we can ever think. But I'm going to spend a a little time tonight looking at the great wonder in heaven. And I, I did a word search this afternoon as I thought about that word great. And if I'm not mistaken, it's used at least 17 times in the book of Revelation. But I find it kind of interesting the great wonder that John saw in heaven was not heaven itself. Let that sink in for a moment. As wonderful as heaven itself was, John saw the street of gold. He saw walls of jasper. He saw the gates of pearl. And yet John didn't call that a great wonder. Now, it was certainly magnificent. But in John's own words, the great wonder he saw in heaven was a man-child 
whom a woman had travailed in birth, who'd been caught up unto God and unto the throne of God. Revelation 12, look at the first two verses. And there appeared a great what? Wonder. There appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. Skip down to verse 5. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. John saw a great wonder, and it wasn't heaven. It was a man-child who was caught up to heaven. We'll never know why except for the sovereignty of God. But if you know anything about the scriptures, you know that John had been highly favored. Highly favored. John had lived to see. He lived to experience what what some theologians call the two extremes of his master's life. And I wonder, as John saw that great wonder, as he saw this vision of heaven, of the man-child being born, this man-child who was to rule all nations, being caught up to God and to his throne. And I wonder, as John stood there and he saw that sight, What was on his mind and what was in his heart as he looked at that great wonder, the man-child being caught out? John saw both extremes. Luke chapter 2, verse 7, we've read this verse several times this time of year. The Bible says she brought forth her firstborn son. Wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them in the end. Now, I don't, I'm not saying John was there. But somehow I believe John heard the story. And John lived during the lifetime of Christ. Here on this earth. And he realized that his master while being born like every other child, but not conceived like every other child. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20, here's what Jesus said unto him. The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. couldn't remember the verse this afternoon as I thought about that. But in one of the 
situations that Christ was involved with, because I know it's in the Gospels, but I think it's in the book of Matthew, but I'm not sure. The point was, they, at the end of the day, they all went back to their homes, but not Jesus. He had no place to call home on this earth. Matthew 21, verse 18. Matthew says, In the morning, as he returned in the city, he hungered. And John had seen that. He had witnessed Christ in the flesh. He knew he was born of Mary. He knew that this child was born and laid in a manger. He knew that Jesus never had a home of his own during his ministry. He knew that even though the birds of the air and the, and the foxes and mammals had their own homes, Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. John had witnessed when Christ said he was hungry. And that was one extreme that John saw. Can you imagine as he's standing there and he sees this great wonder in heaven, this man-child being caught up to God, to the throne of God? What's going through John's mind? Look what he's seen in his lifetime as he walked with Jesus Christ on this earth. But John also saw the other extreme. In John 1, verse 14, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, and the Word was made flesh. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, notice the parentheses. I, I, now, again, this is only speculation on my part. But I wonder, did John lay his pencil down for a minute? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He wasn't just a baby in the manger. He was God in the flesh. And John goes on to say in parenthesis, we beheld his glory. We saw his glory. Now I know they saw it on, on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's true. But they realized, John said, while he was here, we saw his glory as the only begotten of the Father and John said he was full of grace and truth. 1 John 1, verse 1. John says, That which, is, which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, John said, we touched him. We saw him with our own eyes. And I don't know when it finally registered with John and the other disciples. But John said he wasn't just a man. He was the word of life. And we saw him. We touched him. We ate with him. Philippians chapter 2. Verses 8 through 11. 
Paul writes this, being found in fashion as a man, talking about Christ. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to suggest to us tonight that if we can hear the story of Jesus, how he became flesh, born in a manger, how he humbled himself, if we can hear that story, if we can be told that story, and not have either a wonder or worship, something's wrong in our hearts. And that's where John is. Every tongue is going to confess. Folks, the day is near. The day is coming when God will have revenge on all of those who have been indifferent toward him throughout history. All of those who refuse to believe him. A day when every knee is going to bow. A day when everyone shall fall at his feet as dead. A day when the dark scales that have sealed their eyes will fall off. And every eye that day, every eye shall see him and they shall see nothing but him. Revelation 1 7. Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindred of the earth shall well because of him. And John says, Even so, Amen. So be. Even so, amen. The lyrics of an old hymn. The bride's eyes, not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he gifted, but at his pierced hand, the Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. The Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. So the great wonder that John saw was not the gates of pearl, was not the walls of jasper, wasn't even the street of gold. It was a man who was caught up to heaven.
a Scottish pastor, a theologian of years gone by, said this. If I could but look at him through the keyhole of heaven, I would be satisfied. Wow. I would be satisfied. The great wonder of heaven. And by the way, how many know tonight what makes heaven heaven? Not the street of gold. Not the walls of jasper. Not the gates of pearl. Jesus made heaven heaven. So my question would be then, could there be possible to be a greater wonder in heaven? Could there be a far greater wonder in heaven than the glorified man-child? Could it? Now, by the way, John saw the glorified man-child. He saw him raised up to God, to the throne of heaven. But how many know that heaven was his father's house anyway? Amen. So, because heaven was his father's house, I think we can conclude it also belonged to Jesus. And from a human standpoint, it would be his inheritance. In John 14, Jesus said in verse 2, In my father's what? House. By many mansions, literally abodes. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. So it is his father's house. It's where Jesus belongs. He's been with God from eternity. But here's what really boggles my mind. I can only imagine the day when I awake and I find myself in his likeness. And I find myself in his house. In heaven. And I have to believe when I, when I wake and find myself there, all the other wonders of heaven are going to fade away. I'm there. I can only imagine the day when I find myself in heaven just Like him. Now we know, and and I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight, and I appreciate you being here. But we know a lot of problems that God gives in his word. But can you imagine the day we're going to awake in heaven just like him? We read it earlier. Let's read it again. John 3, 2. 1 John 3, 2. Now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. But we shall see him as he is. I don't know. 
But can you imagine the day you wake up in heaven and you're just like him, just like John had promised, just like the Word of God had promised, and we're there and we're just like him? And I have to wonder, am I going to have to pinch myself? Is it a dream? Is it a reality? Am I actually in heaven? Have I really been made acceptable at last for the inheritance of the saints? Is it true? Am I finally set free from sin? Have I really been delivered from the curse that has dogged every step of my life, every step of the way, all the, the curse that has robbed me of the best joys of earth. Have I finally been set free of that curse? What a day that'll be. I wonder, will I need the other saints to assure me it's okay that I'm there? Will I need the assurance from the angels that I'm not dreaming? But it's reality. And I have to wonder, if they began to search through heaven, is there another wonder of redeeming love and saving grace like me? That God would allow me, through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, now remember, we know he said he would. We've read all the promises. We've read the story. But my friend, aren't you glad their story is real? And one day, we're going to wake up in heaven and realize that. Boy, I've got to tell you something, folks. I thank the Lord for the years of His putting up with me. I thank Him for His forbearance and long-suffering. I want to tell you, God has been long-suffering toward me far, far more than I ever deserved. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, the Bible says this. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? Sinners. And Paul adds, of whom I am chief. Jesus came into our world. And he came into the world to save sinners. And the great news is, no sinner is beyond his saving power. He didn't come just to show us how to live a better life like a lot of preachers are preaching today. He didn't come to challenge us to be better people. Jesus came to offer a salvation, a salvation that leads to eternal life. Amen. And we just read there in 1 Timothy when Paul talked about how Christ came to save sinners. And Paul said of himself that he was the chief of sinners. But how many know 
Anyone who's ever been saved is a sinner saved by grace. Saved by the undeserved favor of our God. And the more I understand God's grace, the more I become aware of my own sinfulness. And that's why I love to sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the day when we stand on that sea of glass? And we look down into its transparent depths. What a time of revelation that will be. In Romans 11, verse 33, Paul wrote these words. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. And his ways past finding out. Paul had spent the previous chapters, in fact, up to chapter 11, verse 32, sharing about God's sovereign plan for our salvation. And in verse 33, As Paul wraps up his treatise on God's plan of salvation, he naturally breaks out in praise. Who else but God would have a plan like that? Who else but God would offer us a way out of our sin? Who else but God would pay the price for our redemption? And Paul admits it is beyond our understanding God's wisdom and God's knowledge are too deep for us to understand. Paul said they are beyond being searched out and they're beyond tracing. Isaiah 51 verse 1. Hearken to me, you that follow after righteousness, you seek the Lord. Look unto the rock whence you are hewn, and the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. How many know that God drew us out of the pit? He drew us out of the miry clay. <laughs> and we're standing in that sea of glass and looking in the depth of God's wisdom. And for the first time, we're beginning to understand things we can never understand in this world. Will the angels look at us and will they wonder at us? Will they wonder at what we are seeing? As long as we continue to look down the hole and the pit from which we were dug, and the hole and the rock from which we were hewn. And the only answer that we could give them is that we have come out to a place to see a sight we could never see on this earth. The riches of God's wisdom. 
And we are certainly contemplating a matter that even the Bible says the angels cannot comprehend. First Peter chapter 1, 11 and 12. Searching out, searching what, I'm sorry, of what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them to signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed, and not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things, which are now reported among, unto you by them that are priests of the gospel unto you with all the, with the Holy Ghost, and set down, sent down from heaven. Notice this, which, the, which things the angels desire to look into. This evening, I didn't tell Pam this, but she was, I was finished getting dressed and I was coming out of the bedroom and she was standing at the counter and I, I almost said to her, Penny, for your thoughts, but I didn't. And I wonder if we stand there looking down into the sea of glass, are the angel going to say a penny for your thoughts? What are you thinking? What's going through your mind? But understand when we're there and we're looking down to that sea of glass, we will be shown all the mysteries of life. And for the first time, for the first time in our existence, our understanding will be completely satisfied. Satisfied. All of us have had things come into our life we couldn't understand. Could have been some trial, some test, a sickness, both of our loved ones, ourselves, our friends. We couldn't understand it. And we ask why. Why did this happen? And here on earth, it's, we the answer is not there. But I think one day, when we stand on the sea of glass, and we look into its depths one glorious day. For the first time, our eyes will have such an unction that we will see down into those deep mysteries of God that we could never find out while here on earth. Heaven, not a pie in the sky, it's real. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, Verse 12. For now we see through a glass darkly. But then face to face. Now I know in part. But then shall I know even as also I am known. Folks, we are going to find out the Almighty to perfection in heaven. What a place that will be. Job chapter 28, verse 7 and 8. The Bible said there's a path. There's a path which no fowl knows. But the vulture's eye hath not seen. The lion's whelps have not trodden it. Nor the fierce lion. Past night.
I believe the Bible is describing for us <coughs> an unfathomable path. And that unfathomable path is none other than the wonderful way on which God leads all his people home. Home from earth to heaven. From grace to grace, from glory to glory. All around us we see so many people who are deeply afflicted. And we don't have the words. We're not able to speak before the depths of God's judgments. He's past finding out Paul was right. There are times and places where we really can't open our mouth and we shouldn't. Job said, I put my hand over my mouth. I've said too much. We don't have the experience. We don't have the faith that we need to have to be able to reach out and comfort those who are going through such hard times. And I realize that there are times that God's ways are so overwhelming. And I have convinced my own self and my own heart that it's cruel just to come off with cliches. They don't help. But here's what I want you to realize. Even though at times Satan will convince us There are promises that will never be be fulfilled. And I want to say there are some promises that will not be fulfilled here on earth. But the boldest, most daring promise in the Bible will all be fulfilled in heaven. Every last one. And Paul said, when I get to heaven... All of the trouble and heartache I've here on this earth will not compare to the glory of heaven. It simply will not compare. You remember the time, I know you do, when the three Hebrew children were cast in the furnace? How many of the furnace was real? The fire was hot. And the Bible said when it came out, Not a hair on the body was singed. Do you realize when we get to heaven, no matter what trials or tribulations we've been through, no matter what heartache, not a hair on our body will be singed. Won't even have the smell of smoke upon our garments. We'll have his song. A song among all songs of the glorified will always be, Oh, the depths. Oh, the depth of wisdom and the knowledge and the grace of God to me. So, from my perspective, one of the greatest wonders of heaven will be the day when I find I'm there. Let's stand together. Father, we're so grateful for your word. 
We're thankful, Father, for the promise of heaven. It is real. Not some far-fetched dream or hope. Well, it is a hope, but it's a sure hope, a steadfast hope. Not because of our goodness, but because of his righteousness has been applied to our lives. So, Father, tonight we thank you and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.